Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to introduce David from England, who takes LDN. Good evening, David. Uh, good evening. Could you tell us for what condition you take LDN? Uh, I take it for mind disease. Right. And how old were you when you first started to notice symptoms? Uh, well, originally, um, I was around 21, 22 mark, uh, just finished university and all of a sudden my health started to fall apart quite quickly um, and uh, didn't know what was going on uh, to, to the point where I was, I was practically housebound and uh, so, saw a few specialists and they came up with, the, um, with uh, a, a diagnosis of uh, ME uh, back, at, uh, back then. But uh, I started seeing a private specialist about about nine years ago and he started running uh, some uh, more intensive testing and came up with a uh, Lyme disease uh, diagnosis and from that point I, I haven't looked back um, started to, to treat uh, the symptoms uh, for Lyme disease mm -hmm. and that got me to a point where I was able to finally be out uh, finally capable of working part-time right. uh, because up until that point I hadn't been able to uh, really work at all mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I came across uh, LDN again by the same specialist um, about, uh, about 18 months ago mm -hmm. and in that time it managed to turn around my health from uh, working part-time to working full-time Wow Wow. So let's just see what your health was like just prior to LDN. What were your symptoms at that time? Uh, well, obviously I was still get, getting a uh, hell lot of exhaustion, uh, brain fog, um, some upset uh, stomachs now and again, a uh, lot of muscle ache and pain. And... Uh, the, I mean, the difference now is, uh, I still, I, I wouldn't say I'm 100%, but the fact that I'm able to work full-time, I have more endurance now. That's, mm -hmm. I think that's the big thing, is the endurance for me. Right. Um, I seem to have less uh, muscle ache and pain. You know, I, I, I only seem to get uh, a flare-up if I push myself really hard. And mm -hmm. I... I and that's like if you know if I have a really uh, long hard day at work, and but the, the, the difference there, well, you know, being, being able to work full time is is like a dream for me. Mm -hmm. I used to frustrate hell out of me, and to live on benefits for so many years, and uh, it, it just it, it, I think it's one of those things. It's when you've been brought up from a, a, a background where everyone's worked for the for whatever they've wanted, uh, mm -hmm. needed, 
and then you've had to rely on the state and you just haven't been able to do barely anything for yourself anyway. Um, it's you know for, it, it, it's even it's helped my mental health as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being, being self-sufficient is fantastic. So. Uh, so, so even to the point where I actually got married a couple of years ago as well. Oh, congratulations! You know, and, uh, uh, the LDN was I, I started it. Uh, unfortunately, I I missed uh, dosing uh, for about about two months earlier this year, and uh, so in total, I've probably been on it for about two years uh, almost now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, it's it's helped my health uh, to leading up to when I got married, so I could keep up with the the stresses, um, the the rigors of uh, trying to arrange a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I did find interesting was the fact that when uh, when I went off the LDN uh, earlier on in the year, I didn't notice. Uh, very much of uh, a decline there uh, in in my health, um, but when I went when I when I finally went back uh, back onto it again, uh, I did notice another uh, another small step up energy wise. Oh, good. So before you started LDN, mm-hmm. if you were to rate your quality of life on a score of one to ten, and ten being the best, what would it have been? Mm. I would say around the five, six maybe. And what would you say now? In the seven and eight, more more pushing towards an eight. Right. Well, that's good. For people out there that don't know what Lyme's disease is, could you explain the symptoms that you get with Lyme's disease? Right. Uh, I I get. Uh, well, I also used to get a hell of a lot of muscle ache and pain, uh, a lot of mental fog and confusion, uh, lack of concentration, uh, a lot of headaches, um, occasional um, IBS. Um, so, so basically the same sort of symptoms as you get uh, with ME, but uh, obviously you know, there's uh, there's been a you know the different beanies, whereas ME uh, is a diagnosis where they don't know where to, what to actually uh, say is causing it. Mm-hmm. In my case, where I've had the Lyme disease diagnosis, there's the uh, uh, the the you know the actual bacterial infection there, which uh, which which is obviously uh, treatable. Yes. Up to a point, obviously, it's it's it is uh, it is quite hard. Uh, uh, disease to treat, but LDN has been a, a turning point, I feel, for myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So, um, what would you say to other people who are in a similar position as yourself? Uh, well, I, I, I would say you've got nothing to lose. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, went, I went into treatment with LDN with my eyes open, read up about it myself uh, online and through literature who I had through my specialist at the time uh, there didn't seem to be any any great negatives at all to try and, uh, the LDN uh, I think that the, the only the only key thing there is, is to find the uh, uh, the balance point for uh, dosing 
uh, for each person. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I was quite fortunate that um, I was I was okay stepping up to the uh, the 4.5 um, uh, milliliters uh, every night without without any great um, dramas at all really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only the, the only one that's uh, which I knew about and I have uh, experienced now again is uh, dreams at night seem to be um, that bit, bit more vivid. Right. Uh, but other than that, no negatives at all. So, um, uh, especially with the cost of the medication as well, mm-hmm. certainly worth a try. Uh, it, it's been it's such a turning point for me. Um, it, 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 it's, been, it's been worth it. Well, that's really good news. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us. I'd like to introduce Cheryl from the United States who takes LDN for Lyme disease and infections. Thank you for joining me, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us when you first became sick? Um, my story is rather complex, and it really, to me, goes back into my childhood. And I have always struggled with some sort of illness. It seemed like it was always gastrointestinal. And so um, I'll try to go back as early as I've been given information. When I was about four months old, I actually went into, like, sodium shock at the kitchen table, and I had dehydration, and they took me into the hospital in Illinois, and the doctor... I think had to oxygen tent me and um, I they didn't know what was wrong. I think I, they said that I had like a stomach virus, maybe E. coli. And I have looked at my records. It's Like I said, it's rather complex. I'm still working that out. But after that, I, mean, I did recover. I mean, I recovered from that incident. And then after that, I continued to have gastrointestinal issues. And so I went through a number of, like I, I remember from a very young age, going in and going up in hospital tables and having suppositories and stuff to try to make me go to the bathroom and having enemas in the bathtub. You know, I just, and I would go back and forth. Every time I ate dairy, I'd have a problem. And every time I ate, you know, wheat or bread to try to correct it, it would go the other way. And so I really did have a lot of, you know, digestive issues from a very young age that continued on into adolescence. And, you know, I had rashes on my face and but I was a kid, so I was like, I want to eat oat, I want to eat wheat, and no one really knew anyway. Everyone just kind of medicated it with, you know, allergy-type medications or cover medications. You know how that, that can be. And so, you know, by the time I was 15 or so or 16, I had serious depression, and I really attributed my anxiety and depression to um, just anxiety and depression. You know, I felt like I had inherited that, and so... By the time I was um, 19, I was unable to work and function. I did have pain, but it was nothing like it is today. And I had had accidents, you know, in my late teens, starting at about 18. And I had one at 19 and then again at, I think, 21 and 22 and 23. I had several accidents and that complicated matters. And so I'm going to come forward, though, into 1992, which is where I was down in um, Bakersfield, California, living. And... I was outside, and my dog had actually been sick. And I, I know that doesn't sound relevant, but my dog it is relevant to me. She had been sick, and I rushed her to the ER. And it's kind of funny. She was, she, I had her treated. I mean, they never figured out what it was, but she was extremely ill. And then I was outside in my new apartment, and this 
man looked down and he said, oh, my goodness, you know, like you have a bite on you. And it's huge. It was about, I guess I would say, four to five inches in diameter. And it was round. And I looked down and I said, oh, I said, you know, well, it doesn't hurt. Like that bite doesn't even hurt. So I don't think it's no, I don't think it's any big deal. And he said, you know, that looks like a brown recluse bite. And I, I said, I don't think I got bit by a brown recluse. It's very unlikely. And if I did, man, my body really, I mean, I was, I was young. I was 21 at the time. And so he said, you need to get in. And I didn't. I have to say I didn't. I was sidetracked by other issues. But at that time, I was having palpitations and strange symptoms. And I, it was weird. Like, I changed. And, but I, and they told me I had an irregularity in my heartbeat. I went in, and they told me that. And, but they never looked at the bite. I didn't put the bite together with that because I had been given medications from a pharmacy by mistake. And so I blamed that and not the, not the bite. I never put that together until really probably last year. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I went up, I moved up, that's when I moved up back up to the Pacific Northwest. I moved up to uh, Vancouver, Washington in, in the United States. And um, actually that bite, just to make it clear that that bite mark stayed for about two to three months on my body, on my side. And it was, it had like a little center point that I could see where it looked like it was infected or something like that. And eventually it went away and there's no evidence of that, that bite. So not everyone gets a bite, but I think that was probably the start of my downfall, even though I didn't know it. And so I'm going to kind of flash forward into, you know, I, I went through a lot of struggles. They diagnosed me with fibromyalgia in 1994, I'm thinking, maybe 95. And because I just kept, felt like I had the flu all the time. And it just never went away. I was like, the flu goes away. And this just kept going. It just, I was vomiting all the time at school. I eventually had to leave school in 1995, and I declared total and permanent disability, um, and my loans were written off. I was not able to complete school, and even then, I slept all day and all night, and it was I was freezing all the time, and nobody paid any attention. And and at that time, fibromyalgia was really it meant that you were kind of um, I don't know, kind of had it was all in your head. It, it still really did, and so I saw a number of specialists, none of which did much for me. And then in 1996, I saw a specialist here in, uh, at Oregon Health Sciences University, a prominent doctor. I think I'll leave his name out of it just because I'm not sure if that's okay to say, but um, fibromyalgia expert. And he put me on a few things. And I did start sleeping better. He put me on Ambien and, and Flexeril. It's just I largely see those as Band-Aid treatments. And so, but I did get, I went into remission after I started seeing my current husband. And I was like, wow, this is something else. You know, I just went into remission from like 1996 to 2000 until my children were born. Right before they were born, I started to get, during my pregnancy, which was really in 1999, I started to get all sorts of symptoms. You know, I, was, I would move a lot, so I had incessant movement. And when I say restless leg syndrome, I don't just mean my legs. I mean it was my whole body. And so pregnancy was horrific on me because it was a choice between rocking or just vomiting. I couldn't, the medicines that they gave me would make it worse. And so, you know, I was very sick. I couldn't eat very much during my pregnancy, even though I gained a lot of weight. And um, my children were born. My son, I have twins. My son was uh, three pounds, five ounces. My daughter was five pounds, five ounces. He was rushed to the NICU and I was 38 weeks to term. So that's actually much further than many people go with singletons. 
and he was in the hospital for three weeks. And so after I left the hospital, I was never, I was really just very anxiety ridden, which, you know, I had twins, so it wasn't like I was going, wow, but I was a little perturbed by it because I couldn't deal with anything. Like I, I, I was a really good mom and I was up all the time. I, I never slept. And <laughs> that's, that's nice for, for babies, but like I never slept at all. I just slept one hour in between feedings. And anyway, by the time they were eight months old, my body was just in terrible pain. You know, and I had had, I kind of skipped, but my gallbladder had gotten to the size of my liver when they were about two months old. And so that was a crash surgery. It took two hours and it was thickened and weird, my gallbladder. And then I had to have rectal repair because I'd had rectal prolapse. And so I had really a hideous like post-pregnancy story, but in... The months following, I ended up on, on being placed onto, you know, they tried methadone and um, Oxycontin and all sorts of, you know, pain clinics and tried all sorts of stuff. And they got frustrated with me because I would end up in the ER and dose. There was actual orders from some doctors to give me pain medications as I appeared into the ER. It was that kind of pain. It was just terrible pain. I'd never experienced anything like it with fibromyalgia and so I went through some other treatments. I'm not going to go into all that because it's it's really extensive. But, you know, my, my things kept going. And anyway, things got worse, though. At first it was movement. And then I, I remember in 2002 I was, you know, I had my twins were walking at that point. They were a couple years old, almost a couple years old. And my husband worked, and I called him, and I said, I'm just freezing. I'm having chills and sweats and I can't, I can't function. Like I cannot, I'm in the bathtub trying to deal with the sweat. And so that's kind of what started it. And that just kept going. I'd get goosebumps and sweats and I couldn't get it to stop. And I thought, what is this? Like, what is going on? And I wasn't on like opiates or anything at that time. And so, you know, of course, that's what ended up happening. And they ended up putting me on opiates and, and then eventually increasing those opiates and and I went to Mayo Clinic, and they said, oh, it's just fibromyalgia, or you know, it could be your thyroid. I mean, like, they weren't really that. It, it really wasn't that, um, what do you call it, uh, it wasn't that insightful for me. And so I came back, and they did radioiodine treatment on me in 2003 and destroyed my thyroid gland because they said I had Graves' disease. And at that same time, I also lost my uterus. So I've had a very traumatic, you know, post-pregnancy time, and these chills and sweats that I had, though, were probably one of the most prominent symptoms, that and movement, excess movement. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had a lot of allergic reactions. I scratched all the time. Like, I'd scratch at night nocturnally. And I was on all these medications. And so finally, um, it just kept get, kept going. And I started seeing a homeopath. And she said, it seems like you might have, like, malaria or something, but you know, I don't think you do. It just seems like you do. And so she started to give me treatments. Her treatments largely didn't work. I got somewhat better, but unfortunately, I started doing a little bit more hiking out in these parts, which if you know Oregon or you know Washington, you know that if you're out hiking or if you're out in the field, that's exactly the area where you might get bitten. And so I really don't know if I got bitten again, but in 2009, early 2009, I took a fall on my stairs. That was one factor, and then right after, and at the same time I got a horrendous, this was when H1N1 was going on, I got this horrendous upper respiratory thing, and it went on for just forever, 
And then after I got done with that, and it was like June of 2009, I could not, my feet just killed. And I remember where I was when it happened. I just, I couldn't walk. I, my feet just, I went home and I was like, what is this? And I could visibly see swelling in my feet. Like it was, it looked like um, tendons maybe not operating right. And from there I started getting knee pain, you know, in the tendons all around the kneecaps. And, uh, and I went to my doctor and I said, you know, this is really weird. Like, what is this? And she kind of mocked me. And she said, you know, people have tendons around their knees. And I was like, yes, they do, but their tendons don't kill. So by late 2009, I was unable to, I mean, all through that summer and through 2009, I was unable to leave my house. I mean, I became just totally housebound. And I couldn't wear shoes. I couldn't walk even on my grass. I couldn't, I I have steps. I couldn't, I had a very difficult time walking up and down steps. And I started going through a lot of medical, you know, like allopathic medicine. They tried injections, and it just didn't work. And so at the end of the year, those symptoms started to change. You know, they started to back off, like in winter, which is really kind of unusual for fibromyalgia. And because I hadn't been able to write, I don't know if I told you, I couldn't use my hands or anything either. It just affected my whole body. Like I was almost crippled in the hands and feet and, and legs. And, and so I... I started to recover like in December, January, and this happened a couple years in a row. It happened both in 2010 and again in 2011. And so I was like, oh, great, this is going away. Like, you know, all the allopathic stuff I've done has paid off and all the alternative stuff I've done has paid off. And then like with a vengeance, as soon as spring hit, the foot pain started and then it made its way up my body all the way to the top, you know, in my jaw and everything. And I was like, oh, no this is back. And then we did it all again, you know, PT and, and different treatments of physical therapy, that is, injections. And, and then the same thing happened again in, in 2011. You know, I, I had the same sort of deal. And I was like, boy, this is just something else. You know, this is something else. I'm in bed all the time. I can't, I, to give you a kind of an idea, you know, I'd, I'd be in so much pain that I could, would hold my urine in the morning to avoid getting out of bed. And I saw no purpose in getting out of bed because I was caged in pain. I couldn't talk to my family, not really, which was painful for me because my children were growing up and I was watching it right in front of my eyes. And I felt like anything that I heard, I don't know how to describe it, I was sensitive to noise. So some people will understand this. Like I slept with a noisemaker from 2006 or even before on every night. It was blaring high and I would wear earplugs because I was so sensitive to sound. I was so sensitive to noise and light. Everything had to be covered on my windows. And so it really was a very horrendous time for me. So anyway, I'm going to jump forward to when I, and I don't know if you want me to, that's kind of the background. And then I could jump forward to when I did, in fact, though, you know, see and start to have some changes. So mm-hmm. if you want me to do that, I'll go ahead and do that. Well, so, before you um, go, go any further, <clears throat> at that mm-hmm. particular point, what would you have rated your quality of life on a score of 1 to 10, 10 being the best? I really felt that my life was over. I mean, I was 90-something pounds. I was not eating most of the time. I was vomiting. I, if I had to say 1 to 10, I'd say it was tanked. It was actually... No, 10, the 10 is the good. So you, yeah, 10 is good. It was negative. I would have to say it was negative 10. I mean, my quality of life was nil, and I have no um, shame in saying that 
in the latter part of 2011, I indicated to friends that I felt I would not make it to the end of 2011. And in fact, I told my husband that I had planned end-of-life decisions. I was making end-of-life decisions. And I had notes, a note in the house, which I still possess, that indicated that I was, I was going to terminate my life and that I, I actually had a file in my computer with the multiple ways in which I was going to do that. The problem was is that I was really concerned that he would get in trouble, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's reasonable. And, and I was also concerned for my kids because I really didn't want them to go through anything traumatic. But I also felt that I was really bringing my family down and that there was really no hope for meaningful recovery. And I've always believed in death with dignity. I voted for it in Oregon. And I've always, you know, animals, I've, I've believed that you should not cause undue suffering. And so, well, it really was not much of a step for me because I did not consider it suicide. Just so that, to make it clear, I did not consider that a suicidal action. I, I, I felt that it was a sacrifice that I needed to make for my family. Okay. So that, that that would answer that I thought my quality of life was nil. Yep, that's absolutely fine. So how did you go around to go about turning it around? Well, my husband asked me, a woman came in to give us a massage, and actually I met another woman who, had, she was going through the same thing that I was, and she said, you know, this sounds really autoimmune. Like, And she started talking to me about mycoplasmic infection and Lyme disease, and I was like, oh, gosh, and I, like, I am not, I don't have Lyme disease. I was really, I don't know, I guess it was a denial thing or whatever. And then this other woman came and she said, you know, I know this great herbalist up in uh, Corbett, Oregon, which is out in the mountains out here. Anyone locally would know what I was talking about. And I thought an herbalist is not going to be able to help me. I mean, this is like, I've had acupuncture, so I wasn't really all that. But I, I felt I owed it to my family to try anything. Mm-hmm. I really did. I felt like I owed it to them to give it one last crack before I took off. And so I reluctantly made an appointment with this clinic out in Corbett, and I went out there, and they told me, you've been exposed to Borrelia, and I was like, yeah, right. That was the only thing. I, I was really resistant, just so you know. I was kind of a little jaded, I think. They said, your endocrine system is shutting down. Your thyroid, you're not probably surprised. It's not there. It's not functional. Adrenal glands shutting down. Pituitary not functioning. I remember. It was a whole list of stuff. And the thing is, is, it was all the stuff that I had suspected over the years. It was like everything I had ever told every doctor that was going on. And so I was so frustrated. I was like, how are they telling? Like, how can these people tell? Because they were using a machine. It's a controversial machine. Lots of people think it's wacky. I don't because, in fact, they helped me. So they were using this machine that tests frequencies. And, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. you know. So they treated me with that machine. And then they gave me these herbs which um, I, I don't have any issues saying. We're called, they're called classical pearls. They were developed for treatment of recalcitrant you know, disease. And the doctor that I see specializes in Lyme disease and cancer and, and himself has been through quite a bit. And so, you know, I had to take a leap of faith. And, and by three months after seeing them, actually a month after seeing them, I was able to at least get out of my house in a wheelchair, which was amazing. And by three months, I was actually biking. But the thing is, is I was still having sweats. I was still having pronounced sweats. And so, and I was detoxing. I came off opiates. Actually, at this, I chose to come off opiates because I had Sjogren's syndrome. You know, secondary, I, I would consider it secondary. My eyes were dry for mm-hmm. people that don't know what that is. And my mouth was extremely dry. I mean, I'd never be able to have this conversation because I'd literally my mouth would stick together. And my eyes were so dry that I would scream at night. 
because there was no lubrication on them. And so I did everything they said. I started a huge elimination diet. I took out wheat, corn, peppers, tomatoes. I mean, you name it, I barely was eating. It was basically fish and rice and beans and some greens. That's, that was kind of my diet. And even that was hard because I'd been vegan for like 13 to 15 years. And so I remember throwing up when I first ate fish again. I mean, I hate to be graphic about it, but so I, I, I couldn't go on. At that time, like I had been talked to about LDN in 2011, but I couldn't go on it. I wanted to, but I was on opiate still. So I couldn't go on LDN, and so I, I was frustrated. Like, I, I wished that they could give it to me in the morning and I could take my opiates at night. That was my goal. But everyone told me you'd, I'd go into full-bore withdrawal, and for, for the record, anyone listening to this, I actually do recommend that you stop opiates myself before you take LDN. It's, it's really, they kind of don't work together, and it could put you in full withdrawal. And, in fact, I think it did with me, even on tiny doses at first. But so I, I got off. It took me a year... Let's see, I started treatment in, um, it was uh, November of 2011 at the Chinese Medicine Clinic. It took me until February of, oh gosh, I think like the following, maybe, yeah, you know what, I started, I'm sorry, I started detoxing in February of 2012 or something like that. It took me until February of 2013 to get off of opiates, and I was only on 45 milligrams of Vicodin. So it was a slow thing. I used a medical marijuana and to help also. And I think I did a lot of herxing with that that medication looking back now. But anyway, so I was so excited by February 2013, but also very apprehensive about LDN. I was worried that I might get on another medicine that I'd regret down the line. And But, you know, I'd gotten off of it. And so they wanted me to try ultra-low dose naltrexone because I was not quite all the way off of it. And that didn't work for me, and I didn't want a bad taste in my mouth with LDN. I wanted there to be nothing that I could blame it on, you know, if, it, if I was having side effects. So I made sure I was off, and I did a washout period of two weeks after quitting opiates. And I started on very low doses. And the way that I came to learn about LDN was, like, multiple. One was through a naturopath. One, my husband found it. You know, another way was my husband found it online. And... Then I talked to a number of like chiropractors that actually had were familiar with it, and then my doctor, who was a prominent um, doctor in town, she felt that LDN was really worth it. She had fibromyalgia and had been through actually quite a bit of what I did. I often wonder if maybe she had been exposed to some of the similar pathogens. But anyway, so I I got a script from uh, my nurse practitioner in that office, and so it was quite easy for me to get LDN. You know, it was, it was not a challenge. And then I wanted to get it a little cheaper. And if you get an MD to prescribe it, you can use this pharmacy that's, you know, back east. And so I got my regular medical doctor was like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I have no problem doing it. So, I mean, for me, I lucked out. And I thought this isn't, I, I will be honest with you. I was kind of like, I don't know if this is going to work for me because I had had, you know, the ultra low dose and I woke up. I'm going to talk a little bit about side effects. So when I took ultra low dose, it was actually 0.1 milligram. And I woke up at, and I'm not, don't try not to get bothered by this for anyone that's listening, but I woke up kind of startled awake, you know, at about um, like six or seven in the morning. And not, that was not unusual for me with Lyme, you know, so I don't know why it bugged me so much, but I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I woke up and, and I thought, oh no, it's not going to work for me. And then, and then this was though when I was still on opiates. And then when I, when I was off of them, I was afraid that that would 
happen, you know, which, in fact, it did. I took, you know, I took my LDN at 9, and I was going to bed at 4.30 in the morning. That's what my schedule was better, and I was going to bed at 4.30 a.m. And so somebody told me, you know, if you're having, because that was the only side effect, okay? I mean, there, there was, I didn't have wild dreams or, you know, scary dreams or anything. That was, it was just startling. And so someone told me, you know, actually you're, you're on really low doses and, and that's okay, but maybe you should take it when your head hits the pillow. And I said, but my head hits the pillow at 4.30 in the morning. And they said, well, then take it at 4.30 in the morning. And so I thought, well, I don't really have anything to lose. So I did that. And when I did that, what I found is that I didn't have that startling reaction that I've had. And even better was that, my schedule readjusted, and now I take LDN at around midnight, and I go to bed much earlier. I mean, I know 1.30 is not perfect, but I actually think I can get it down to where it's normal and before 12. So that was very nice for me. And the difference, though, was for me, and what, what upset me was a lot of people start at 1.5 milligrams, and I was on like, you know, I was on 0.3 <laughs> at the beginning, and I felt like, you know, this is not this is not enough. Like I need to push myself, but I couldn't, you know, I was just, I'm very sensitive to meds. And so I, I thought, well, I'm just going to keep going. And I was, I was upset because I, I'd read a number of people that had had, like they took it. And the first night they were feeling better. Like they woke up and they were doing all sorts of stuff. And I was like, why is this not happening for me? And so I was very concerned. And, um, and I thought, you know what, though, why not just keep trying? Why not just keep taking it? Like, it's not hurting anything. And it's probably helping my immune system to, you know, to balance. I will so say that, just, just at the moment, for people listening, all yes. the doctors that I've interviewed, the average time for LDN to work with somebody, usually people don't notice anything till four months. So Yes, and that, that's what I was going to get mm-hmm. I agree with you. And I think it's important to mention because you do hear those miracle stories, but... You know, that's that's a miracle story, and everyone knows about averages. There's those that are above and those that are below. Right. And so what I tell people now when I talk about LDN, because I do talk about it publicly quite a bit on, on boards and, you know, privately with people that are interested, is that, you know, I had, I saw a lot of change at three months, then at six, and then at nine, and at a year I saw a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I, I tell people, don't quit just because you don't see results right away, and certainly don't even quit at three months. It's it's not soon enough to know your body's been sick for like my in my case gosh you know my whole life but minimally since 1993 so I mean it's not going to turn around in five seconds and that's what a patient with MS told me on one of the boards he said Cheryl you've been sick this long it may take a while to undo and I was really grateful to him for saying that to me mm-hmm. and he said by the way your dose is just fine 0.3 or 0.5 is just fine for a starting dose you don't need to start at 1.5 maybe you can't handle it you're small. I'm about. I'm in my 90s. My pound. My weight is really low. It was at that time. It was actually lower at that time. I was about 91 pounds. So I calculated for what dogs take, and that's how I got my dose. And so eventually, like, and I'll just tell you kind of the turnaround. So normally, I didn't mention this, but normally I would have to like in 100 plus weather in order to bike with my kids, which was an amazing thing I was doing anyway. I would have to wear a shirt, another shirt on top of it sometimes a small coat or corduroy shirt over the top of that, and then a large winter coat. Along with that, I would take an ice pack and a towel. 
this was the only way that I could bike with my kids and function. And because I had lost so many years, I felt it was the least that I could do, even if I dripped sweat. And so I did it. And I would often bike seven miles in that condition. Mm-hmm. But by three months or four months after starting LDN, I noticed that I really didn't need the coat. I I went out one day to bike, and I was like, you know, I think I'm just going to wear a normal shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't been able to. Like, if you saw my attire, you'd go, wow, you wore that every day. Because I'd wear, like, sweats, like a really light pair of sweats because my knees hurt so bad, and a T-shirt, a white T-shirt. It was the same outfit every day except for I had multiple pairs. And so I decided I was going to wear just a light shirt and go out like normal people do. And I went out, and I was like, wow, that's what it feels like to have wind go through your hair, like to not sweat and to not have chills. And I was like, this has to be LDN. There's no way. Like I've been suffering from this for 13 years. And there's there's just no, I mean, it was, it was not 13, but it was, well, it was at least 10 plus. And I thought there is no way that that just happened. I mean, because I had already been on medical marijuana, so I didn't attribute it to that. That never, that didn't stop that symptom entirely. And so I was just so thrilled to be able to, to not have that sweating, which had prevented me from even throwing a baseball to make people understand that even throwing a baseball would cause me to sweat or even going in the kitchen would cause me to sweat. Taking a shower would cause me to sweat. Mm-hmm. And it was just brutal and nothing stopped it. It was, it really felt like I had malaria. And I would later come to find out that in fact, I probably do have, uh, I think it's called Babesia. And um, I mean, that was one of the things they told me. Like I had a form of yellow fever at the doctor's office and I was like, yellow fever? Because I had been out of the country. And um, he said, what's well, like that? It's not the same thing. And I think what he was trying to get at is it was tick-borne malaria. So, you know, then I, I'm going to jump forward a bit. You know, like it seems like at six months, so that, that would have been like at four months, at six months, it seems like my sleep started to get better. And I started to go to bed earlier. Like I had to. I just I took my LDN earlier and went to bed because I was I was just so tired, you know, which was good. It was to me a meaning of more, you know, balance and um, you know, it was just so nice. Like I, I came off a great deal of medications just with my Chinese medicine treatment, but with this I felt able to start detoxing off some of the medications that I had been put on and like got Neurontin and I came fully off Flexeril which uh, for those of you that don't know, that's a muscle relaxer often used for fibromyalgia. I had been on that since 2007, so very hard drug to come off of. I came off of that, and I think there were a couple of Ambien quit taking it entirely. Um, And so, you know, then at nine months, it's just, I I remember cleaning, like I have pictures that I posted online because I was doing fundraising, and I have a group that is for that, and I, I posted pictures of me that I had cleaned my cupboards. You know, and I know that that seems really... I don't know, maybe to the average person that might seem kind of lame, a mom that can clean her cupboards, like, so what? Well, I had to get up on a step stool, and I had to climb steps to do that and, and put my knees on the counter while I was cleaning. So to me, that was a big deal because I had not been able to bend my legs, and I do mean that. Like, when you do a hamstring stretch, I couldn't do that. I couldn't even pull my, my back leg up to 90-degree position. It was that stiff. I couldn't walk down my stairs. I couldn't type. I felt like I had been crucified at times when I was my, at my sickest in my hands and my feet. And so it really was a tremendous thing to be able to clean any part of my home. And so any time that I did it, I would take a picture 
and I would put it on there, and I would say, this is what I did today. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, I just can't, I can't imagine not having tried it, LDN. So what would you say really now, can't. today, your quality of life is on that scale of run 1 to 10? I think my quality of life is probably about an 8 or a 9, mm-hmm. and um, some days it's actually 10. I have completed successfully a course at Oregon State University after not being able to go to school for years, and it was an upper division class, and I have started writing a couple of small books, and I do pottery, (laughs) and I am a personal advocate now in Portland uh, for a, a group, and so I would say that my quality of life is quite good because I get to talk to my children, and I get to eat food, and I get to walk up and down my stairs, and I get to sleep, and I thank, you know, every every day that I get a moment that is good or pain-free, and I know it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I consider level three pain or level two pain to be really good. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's something I haven't had for years. Even when I was on opiates, I don't know that I had that unless it was durgesic. I had that, but I sweat like crazy. I had so much side effects with this. It's just level two pain, and uh, and, and sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes I have no pain. Well, that and is so, a really remarkable, amazing story, isn't it? Very inspirational. It really is. And that's, that's why I wanted to share it, because when you feel like you want to end your life, you know, and whether you call that suicide or not, that's pretty bad. And so if you had told me about LDN in 2010, I would have been like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, maybe unless you shared a story like that. If you shared a story like that, yeah, I would have tried it. Mm-hmm. And so I really had a hard time getting those stories. Like I wasn't hearing anything. All I heard was it's just fibromyalgia. Go to physical therapy. But if I had heard somebody tell a story like that, I think it would have changed me. Well, so it's very important for me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, Linda. L-I-N-D-A at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.